Come on, let's stand our feet this morning as we worship the Lord together. Freedom is a song I sing. All because of your great love, now I live. I was dead, but now I breathe. Awaken to your grace so In the power of your cross, now I live. Salvation, my freedom, you gave your all for me. praise this morning. He's worthy. Amen. We serve a good God. Hey, well, the first thing I kind of want to encourage you to do this morning, if you got your phone with you, I want you to take that out right now and check into Facebook. Let your friends know where you're at and that they need to be here next time. Amen. As we worship and engage the Lord this morning, because that's what we're here to do. Amen. 
no matter what you walk through those doors, and I know no matter who you are, sometimes we walk in and we're kind of weighed down. So as we continue to worship this morning, I encourage you to just cast your cares on the Lord and engage his presence.
your presence in this place, Lord, this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place this morning. Come fill this place, Lord, we invite you to come. Jesus. Jesus, we worship you. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare your high-living hope, your presence. Taste it and sing. I'll taste it and sing of the sweetest of love. Where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord, and Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit, you are You glory, 
us by your with your presence today that we would know lord that you are here in our midst and anything we have need of lord whether it's healing whether it's your peace whether it's fresh joy in our life and strength wisdom god in your presence that's where we will find it we love you jesus we love you jesus we're going to take this time during our worship to pray with you about anything you have need of. We're going to bring our prayer team around the front. And if you have need for healing, if you have need for wisdom, we want to pray with you. But God was showing me this morning that there were those of you that were needing some courage. You know what you need to do, but you're afraid to do it. God wants to fill you with courage today. There are those of you here that are needing a little extra grace. You just keep trying and you keep failing. And God's here to meet you with his grace, his mercy. He's here to fill you with his boldness. And so I want to encourage you, whatever it is that you have need of today, come around the front because in his presence, whatever it is you need, it will be met. And when you agree with someone in prayer, you will see power and miracles take place. So as we continue to worship, we're calling our prayer team forward. And I invite you, come to the altar for prayer because God is here to meet you. To trust in Jesus Just to take Him at His word Just to rest Upon His promise Just to know The Trust in Jesus. 
precious Jesus, all for grace to trust Him. you're here so why don't you turn and let somebody else know how excited you are to see them in the house of the Lord this morning
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. So glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. I'm sure you've heard it by now. Vote, make your voice heard. And at this point, I'm sure you're thinking, why bother? Why take 30 minutes out of your day to stand in line with strangers when at the end of it all, one vote is just a drop in the bucket? It's just one little vote out of millions and millions, and it doesn't really make a difference. Your voice by itself amounts to nothing more than a whisper, right? So maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, but there's 60 million committed Christians in the United States, and only about 30 million of them vote in any given election. Maybe the other 30 million are thinking what you're thinking. It's just one vote, so why bother? Perhaps one vote doesn't seem like a lot, but 60 million votes are. If 60 million like-minded Christians will cast their votes on election day, all those little drops will fill the bucket and all those little whispers will add up to a very loud voice that will be heard and make a difference. So don't fool yourself into thinking that your vote doesn't matter because it does. But what matters even more is who you influence to vote with you. It really comes down to faith and action. If all the Christians in America start joining their voices and their vote together, one by one, multiplied across the nation, we can change the course of our country. So make sure you vote. But first, you have to register. If you're not registered, you can't vote. Register today at www.wallbuilders.com vote. It will take less than two minutes. And then, make sure you vote. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock for the month of January. Our midweek Wednesday night service is the perfect opportunity for you and your family to grow in your relationship with God. We offer a variety of Wednesday night classes for anyone and everyone. Check out the ministry guide to find a class for you. Your kids will love our amazing Wednesday night children's program in Kids Zone and youth program at Powerhouse. Mark your calendars. On January 20th, we'll have a night of prayer and worship. 
On Wednesday, January 27th, we have our free hamburger meal and life group promotion night. Also, during the month of January, we are starting the year right with our new year, Next Level, as we seek the Lord with the Proverbs Challenge and prayer and fasting. The week of January 17th through 24th, we are asking everyone to commit to a week of prayer and fasting. Pick up a new year Next Level flyer for more information. Well, good morning, everyone. This is my favorite thing I get to do as a pastor. I get to dedicate babies. Hi, Gabe. Hey, Pastor. Hi. Who is this? Aslan. Is that Aslan? Yeah. That's my sister. That's your sister. Well, let her say hello to everybody. Say hi, everybody. She's pretty. What you thinking? Thank you. She said I was the best pastor in the whole world. Thank you, sweetie. What else? She said she wishes her grandparents would come to church with her every Sunday. <laughs> and Wednesday, she meant. <laughs> you know, baby dedication is really a family dedication. It's the dedication of mom and dad. It's the dedication of grandparents, of aunts, of uncles, of all people that hold this child precious, that we're going to do our best to raise this child to know God. She may get smart one day and try to outsmart mommy and daddy, but she can't outsmart all of us as we're all watching over her. We're all praying for her. We're all doing our best to leave a godly example for her to follow. But we want to pray for her today that God's going to watch over her. And our trust in God is that one day she'll make her own step to Christ. One day she'll respond to an altar call. One day she'll raise her hand and said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And our prayers, it should be like my wife. My wife was so young when she made her first step to Christ, she can't even remember the day. You know, raising kids in the world today, in some respects, could be scary. Because the world's a pretty evil place out there. But you know what? When the light of Christ shines in us and through us, and the goodness of our God watches over us, we can believe that our kids are going to be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. Lift your hand towards this little girl and this family. Lord, we bless little Aslan today. We bless her mom and dad, Pastor Travis and his wife Whitney on staff here. Two godly people who have affected many, many, many lives in the last 10 years. We're very proud of them. We want to pray that they'd be able to raise these kids, Lord, to know you all their days, to walk with you and serve you. These kids would be a shining example of what it means to be a part of a Christian family. Keep the Aslan and Gabe in the palm of your hand, Lord, and do them good all their days. Keep them from evil, danger, and harm. Let there always be food on the table. Let there always be love in their hearts for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. We're very proud of you guys. Pastor Travis and Whitney are two of our next-gen pastors. I want you to give them a big hand. We love you guys a bunch, doing a great job. Whitney directs our Bible college, our son's school as well. God bless you. Good to see everybody today. Travis, bring your kids with you here, buddy. I thought about that, and it may be bad for all of us. Anyways, man, we are so glad that you're here, and uh, welcome to Church on the Rock. Uh, it's good to see you. It's a great day to worship God. Amen? Amen. We are so happy that you're here. You saw in the last part of the video that uh, this is a year to really draw close to God, right? It's January. It's the beginning of this new year, and there's just a sense that uh, I want to get close to God. And here at the church, we're trying to get everybody on board that this is a year 
for you to draw as close to God that you ever have. Here are a few things that we're doing deliberately at the church that we want you to be a part of. The first thing is our Proverbs challenge. We challenge you every day to read a proverb. Today is uh, January 17th, so Proverbs 17. Tomorrow is the 18th. And join us, join us with that. Uh, the next thing we want to encourage you to do is make this month a month of prayer. Wake up early, pray, spend time with God. What we're doing here at the church next week is we're having three different corporate times of prayer here in the sanctuary. The first one's from 6 to 7 in the morning. There'll be a staff pastor here. And then from 12 to 1 over your lunch hour, if you can make that. And then 5 to 6 every day, we'll be in here praying. If you have some time, come by, connect with us, and pray. It's going to be amazing. Amen? Also, we encourage, uh, challenge you to fast next week. Give up something, social media, sweets, do a Daniel fast. It's all about drawing near to God because God's promise is if we draw near to Him, He'll do what? Draw near to us. We have another important announcement. We have a team that's going to Thailand in just a few weeks, and we're so excited about that. But they are raising money right now, and they have a cool little fundraiser going on at Powerhouse. Next Wednesday, right after the service, about 8.15 at Powerhouse, they are doing what they're calling a pie for Thai. And what that means is Pastor John is going to take pies to the face for donations. So, yeah, everybody give it up for Pastor John. It's going to take probably a lot of money for that to happen. $100 for every clap. Thank you very much. Appreciate there you go. But show up with some money. We want to send these young people to Thailand and bless them. Amen? Amen. So Pastor Travis Mikes gets off, and Travis will be down here too. And you want to vote for somebody or nominate somebody? I'm sure... Uh, we could raise some good money to go to Thailand. Amen. We're continuing to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. You know, in Malachi chapter 3, pretty familiar verse when it comes to this subject. But first of all, the people are just away from God. Their finances are terrible. Their nation's terrible. And they realize they got away from God. And they say, how do we return? And this is God's answer. God says, by, begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask how we, how we have robbed you. The tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring your full tithe to the temple treasury so there'll be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. For my part, I will defend you against marauders, protect your wheat fields and vegetable gardens against plunders, the message of the God of the angel armies. You know, when we talk about tithing, first of all, that tithe is the 10%. According to the Word of God, it's holy. It's something you return to the Lord. So a lot of times we give our tithes, but you're not really giving. It's a more appropriate statement to say we return our tithe to the Lord. And anything above that's a, an offering, something to seed your planning where God will bring this back in your life. And as I'm standing up here, I'm not trying to sound pushy. You can come to this church and never give a dime. That's not the point. But as a church, we want you to be blessed. I mean, how many want to be blessed? And to do that, you got to go by God's Word. And I've been in the situation where the credit card people were calling and the bill collectors, and it was just a, a, a crazy time in my life. And that's when I decided to take this step. And the first time of year is a great time to take a step and say, hey, I'm going to trust God in my finances return that 10% to the Lord. But if I was asked this question, and don't raise your hand, but if I said, how many tithers out there? I mean, how many of us would raise our hands? And what would that feeling be if you weren't able to raise your hand? Because a lot of the things we do in church life have to do with how it looks to other people. Truth? But what does it look like in the heavenly realms? Because you realize there's a spiritual battle going on. And daily the enemy comes before God and is, as the Bible says, accusing the brethren. 
and also coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And I wonder if he comes sometimes and says, I'm going to attack this church. I mean, they're trying to do a building program. You know, I'm going to come and try to steal from them. And then God does roll call. He said, how many tithers down there? Tithers raise their hand. And God says, hey, you can't touch them. You can't touch the tithers. I rebuke you. As a matter of fact, you've been trying to get on uh, Cole here, and he's a tither. As a matter of fact, you've been stealing from him. You're a thief. Return sevenfold to him. You know, we just don't know what's going on in the heavenly realm. And so look at God's word, especially the first of the year, and begin to trust him with your tithe. Amen? God bless you as you give today. To set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. Cause I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. To set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain. Cause I want more of you, God. We want more of you, God. We want more, we want more, we want more, we want more, we want more. So pour it out. We want more, we want more, we want more, we want more, we want more. that again but what are you singing are you just singing cute little words or are you asking God Lord would you let there be more of your presence in my life when I'm at work Lord would you let me be more like Christ would you let me have more uh, discernment in my life so I could know right from wrong Lord would you give me greater compassion your compassion for poor and needy and broken people so when we sing more be deliberate in your praise to the lord because how many know god's not the one that wants to withhold but he wants good things in our life come on lift your hands to heaven and just tell your father i do want more lord of your presence just begin to sing it again we want more we want more give Jesus a big hand this morning. The Lord Jesus is worthy. Come on now, give him a big hand today. Worthy of our praise. Praise the Lord. Hey, great you're here. Why don't you tell your neighbor, you are really glad to see them this morning. You are glad they're at church today. Well, praise the Lord. We are doing a series called Awakening. Can you say that with me? And I can tell you how you would not have to awaken so early on Sunday morning come to church on Saturday night. There's more chairs and you got your whole Sunday to sleep in or have fun. But the series Awakening, we're using the term awaken as a call to wake up spiritually. How many know you can be spiritually asleep? 
Yeah, just like it works sometimes, you know, you're trying to work, but you're kind of nodding off. We're using it as a phrase to call us to a greater sense, a deeper, uh, de- uh, deeper walk with the Lord. To awaken is to begin to serve the Lord, accomplish His will for our lives. To awaken means to awaken from backsliding. All of us as Christians have either been on a plateau or slipped back a little bit. But awakening is a word that I'm using, and if I can give you uh, perhaps an illustration uh, uh, of two teenage boys. Now, I want you, hey, who has teenagers here? Let me see if you've got teenagers. All right, you can relate to this. Imagine it's Friday evening, and Dad says, hey, uh, uh, I'm going to go to work in the morning, but I'll be back around lunch. I want you boys to do the yard. I want you to cut the grass. I want you to edge it. I want you to blow the rocks real good. And lo and behold, Dad gets up off to work at 7 o'clock, and one of the boys gets up about 8.30, and begrudgingly he's out there because he's, he knows it's the right thing to do. Dad's giving him a car, puts gas in the car, takes good care of him. But the other brother is just snoozing, and uh, he's snoozing at 9.30, he's snoozing at 10.30, and uh, long behold, it's 11.30, and he's still snoozing, and Dad comes in, and he sees one boy out in the yard cutting the grass, and he opens the door, and there's the other boy, and he just, oh, I, well, I. now, I want to ask you a question. In your spiritual life, which boy are you like? Are you the boy that's serving the Lord, that's doing what Dad's asked you to do, or are you the boy that's, that's kind of, you know, hanging back a little bit, hanging loose, recovering from the weekend? Now, I say this not to make you feel bad. I don't want to make you feel guilty, but what I want to do in this series is challenge you here in early January about the spiritual patterns you're going to set to your, for your life in this new year. What spiritual standards are you going to embrace as you go in this new year? What, what, what's going to be important to you? What are you going to do with your time and your money? How are you going to serve the Lord? You know, what impact is your life making as you make as you go into this new year? Because I'll tell you, friends, as I reminded you last week, our nation, America, is in trouble. How many know that? Everybody knows it, but people, most people don't know what the solution is. Can I tell you what the solution is for America? It's a spiritual awakening. It is a great awakening in America, and next week we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how, what could happen in America and what I might do to see a spiritual turnaround. But this morning we're going to talk about a, an awakening in the church because I can promise you this, friends, the nation will never have a spiritual awakening unless the church has a spiritual awakening. And how many know it's not the building we're talking about? I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about you. That when we have a personal spiritual awakening and it begins to spill out into the community, how many know the light of God is shining out and people in our community will change as they turn their hearts to Christ? Come on, somebody say praise the Lord this morning. But this morning, I want to talk about a church awakening. It's the title of the message. And I want to begin in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, if you've got a Bible, you might turn there. But in Revelation chapter 3, the book of Revelation was written by John, or John the Beloved, he was called. He was one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He was arguably the person on this earth that was closest to Christ than any other. John was the one uh, apostle that church tradition suggests that that didn't die a martyr's death, yet he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And the Bible says it was the first day of the week. It was the Lord's Day. It was Sunday. And he was in jail, but he wasn't depressed and discouraged. Uh, He was putting God first. And the Bible says he was in the Spirit, and he had an open vision. And in this vision, Jesus was communicating. uh, An angel was speaking to him, and he wrote down the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation was written originally to seven churches in Asia Minor. 
And I'm going to pick one of these churches. The thing is, I looked through these pages, is two of the churches, I think it was two, perhaps three, uh, he didn't have any criticism about at all. But most of them, he found that they were spiritually asleep. Listen to the first uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And he writes to the angel of the church in Sardis. Sardis was the city. When writing to an angel, it's not talking about a heavenly being with wings. It's the Greek word angelos. It means messenger. So he's likely writing to the senior leader there in the church. And notice what he says. He said, I know your I know what you're doing. I know all about you. Now, if you're sitting here today, this is a Protestant church broadly. It's a, we would call ourselves an interdenominational church, an evangelical church, a charismatic church. But broadly, it's a Protestant church. Protestantism came to the forefront or actually was birthed during the Middle Ages when Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest, recognized that his own religion had become more of a religion of works. And they were doing things to earn salvation. And he pinned his 95 theses on the door of a church. And, and basically they were built on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that says you're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. And the idea is the sense that you can't work your way into heaven. But because of this background, it seems to me that we minimize works too much. How many know works don't get us into heaven? How many know we do good works because we're going to heaven? We do good works because we're the love of the Lord. But what I want you to notice in this passage is the Lord knew everything they were doing, the good and the bad. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Now, their death was not a physical death. They were walking around just like you and I. It was a spiritual death. In other words, everybody thinks you're doing great, but I know your heart. Now, what amazes me in this passage is he's talking to a whole church. He's not talking just to individuals, which suggests it's like as if God wrote a church to, a, 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 an exhortation to church on the rock. He'd be referring to all of us. And though we don't know for sure, uh, it's likely that not all of them were backslidden. Some, some were probably living for God, but yet the whole church received this indictment. And which tells me that what I do is going to affect you and what you do is going to affect me. And the way we relate to one another and the world as the body of Christ here is somehow reflective on all of us. But his words are in verse 2 to wake up. Hence my phrase awakening, wake up, which implies this is not just something that God does from heaven, but this is something that I do. It's some steps that I take. I mean, just because the alarm goes off doesn't mean you're getting out of bed. How many normally hit that snooze alarm more than twice? Let me see how many honest hands are here. Yeah, okay. All right, more than three times. We're looking for a winner. More than four. More than five. More than six. I want all those that hit their snooze alarm six times to please stand. We'd like to know who you are. Just in case we're in the market to hire someone, we... <laughs> ah, it's a gift and a curse from heaven, that snooze alarm. Wake up. Get out of bed spiritually. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says if your spiritual life is beginning to do this, chances are more than likely you're going to do this uh, instead of that unless you take some real deliberate steps. He said, strengthen what remains. For I have found that you're doing less than what God wants. Hmm. Christianity is not just believing. It is believing and it is doing and is doing not less than God wants, ideally, but it is doing what God wants. 
Verse 3, remember, in other words, think back what you received and heard. Think of the standards that were taught to you of how and what we should be as Christians. Keep those standards and repent, which means turn around. Because if you will not wake up, Jesus himself, listen to this now, said, I'm going to come as a thief and you'll not know at what hour I am coming yeah. Now, I go into the Scripture primarily through the window of John 3.16, which God is a loving God. Most people do. But I want to suggest to you it's the same God that says, I'm coming against you if you don't shake yourself spiritually. I don't believe it's a loss of salvation. I don't believe it's a judgment in hell. But it is some judgment nonetheless that should, uh, that should provoke us. Now, as we look at this church, and as I said, seven churches in Revelation, most of them were addressed just as this one. So the question naturally is, what is church supposed to be? If this is not what it is, what is it supposed to be? And I suggest to you, the church is supposed to be a force in the earth. The church is supposed to be a force in the city. We are to be a group that is winning souls and making disciples, that is proclaiming truth and letting our light shine in the world. Well, how many know you can look great on the outside but be backslidden on the inside? Matthew 23, Jesus talked about the Pharisees. Because you remember, these guys had a reputation of being alive but were dead. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, Outwardly, you look righteous, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, Again, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or condemn you or beat you up in any way. But what I am trying to do is shake you a little bit to get you out of bed. I'm trying to be like the mother of those two boys because daddy is coming home. Come on. And you know in the afternoon you're going to want dad to do something with you. You're going to want to hunt or fish. So you need to be doing what dad has asked you to do. And that's what I'd like to do today as a brother in Christ to kind of shake you in terms of your spiritual standards that you've set for yourself, what you're doing for the Lord in this new year so you don't just kind of get caught up with the momentum of the year, but you set a pace that's going to be pleasing to the Lord. Come on, somebody say, that's what I want. Now, I'm going to illustrate it this way this morning. I am going to be a painter. I'm one of those that couldn't draw a straight line with a, a ruler. Anybody else like that in here today? Yeah. Okay, well, what I want to do, though, is I'm going to suggest to you, is, is we look in this passage and you say, well, I wonder what in the world was God asking uh, these people in Sardis to do? What was it that they were not doing that they were supposed to do? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I have been doing a bit of praying and reading the words of Jesus and looking at the early church. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to paint a portrait. I don't mean literally, but I'd like to turn this into that in your life and in mine. Now, I want to suggest to you, I want to suggest to you, uh, of course, you might have done some of these painting experiences. We had a couple ladies last night that have a, uh, what's it called, something color in Alabama, not Alabama, in uh, Atlanta. Atlanta, right down the road. Anyway, uh, my wife and my daughter, uh, both my daughters, went to see her one day, and they went in there, and she gave them something that looked like that. She gave them a portrait. All it had was a white background. And, of course, they're saying, we can't draw, we can't paint. And she's saying, I'll show you how. And after a couple hours, it turned out to be that. And now we've got three little crosses hanging on our wall in our hallway. So what I'm going to suggest today is God has given all of us a paintbrush. And we can either paint on this fabric, we can either paint a beautiful picture, or we can do nothing. 
But I will suggest to you that a church is supposed to look like that, and it's very deliberate. I came up with a half a dozen things that I think give us a portrait of what a church that is alive and awakened about what she's doing in the earth and about what she looks like. And I'm going to suggest that these are like brush strokes, and uh, hopefully you can uh, relate to my message in this today. But uh, what I'm talking about in the rest of the message is what causes an awakening in the church. How do you paint this portrait, and what do you put on it? On this portrait, I think we've got some red, and we've got some turquoise, and we've got black. We've got some white, and we've got some diamonds there that surround it. There's some little blue sparkles around the edge. And I'm going to suggest to you these half dozen things that I say will end up painting a portrait of the church that looks like this. But the starting place for all of us is just like that. So let's look at the first one. The first and most important thing that I believe causes an awakening in a church is that we have awakened to our purpose. Let me say it again, that we have awakened to our purpose. Now, the question is, what in the world is the church supposed to be doing on the earth? What should we be thinking about every day? What should we be giving our money towards? What motivates us to, as you saw, to go to Thailand, to go to dig water wells in Mexico? What is it that church is supposed to be about? And in the same way, what is, what is it that I'm supposed to be about? And I'll suggest to you there is no question in the Bible. It is what Jesus told us before his ascension is that we are to win souls and make disciples. Come on, let me say it again. Win souls and make disciples. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 4. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to an agrarian society. And he said there's four months between planting and harvest. In other words, you put the corn seed in the ground, you wait a couple months, you're going to eat corn. If it's radishes, it's about three weeks. But Jesus said, uh, Jesus said this. He said, I say to you, wake up. Everybody say, wake up. Wake up and look around you. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Now, what in the world does that mean? The fields are people. Now, when I came back after Thanksgiving from Memphis, it had been raining a lot, and I came across the, the, the bridge there. There were hundreds of acres of soybeans that had yet to be harvested. Now, I was raised on a farm, and here's what my dad taught me. When that soybean is ready, if you don't combine it real soon, what's going to happen? The pods are going to open up, the seeds are going to fall on the ground, and you're going to lose the harvest. And I can, can I suggest to you, that is exactly what the picture is of people in this world today that are ready to make steps to Christ, but they need someone to show them the way to go. Amen. This week, I live in Redwater. I was coming home, I, I think it was Wednesday, but I was going to, back to my house, and at 1230, two police cars were rushing, going uh, east on Highway 67, real fast, lights blaring, turned on 2148. I didn't know what was wrong. But later on, I heard that there had been a shooting across the street from the school. A 16-year-old boy, who my daughter said was in one of her classes, was not in school that day, but instead was across the street, got a shotgun, shot into a house, and killed a pastor's wife. Well, why did that happen? I'll tell you, friend, because somebody that was lost, who liked those soybeans in late November and early December that were ready to be harvested, and no one had gone out to collect the harvest, evil just began to bubble up in his heart, and now he's destroyed his life. Hopefully someone in prison will one day be able to reach him with the gospel, but it is the number one thing that you and I have been called to do on this earth. Let me illustrate it in my personal life. I'll give a few examples today. I made a Facebook post a couple days ago. We're reading through the book of Proverbs. 
Hopefully you're joining us. Today's chapter 17. This morning I read chapter 17, posted it, and, and, and you can certainly do the same with friends. But on the 10th, the Proverbs, the first uh, chapter 10, verse 1, said, A wise son makes a happy or a glad father, but a foolish son is a shame to mom. And what I did that day is I wrote how proud of my children that I was. I said something like, you know, I've never bailed them out of jail. Uh, you know, the, a policeman's never come to my door. Them being drunk, we've not had to, to go and have a baby out of wedlock. You know, all the things that parents are concerned about. And I posted that online. Well, I got a comment from a friend that I went to high school with 42 years ago. Now, listen to what he said. I know I don't look that old, but I, I, I am a little older than some of you. First thing he said was, uh, John Henry, that's what they used to call me, he said, uh, you did well. And I'm thinking, oh, that was a nice thing, you know, mom's a good mom. But then he said this, what a difference we could have been if we would have been bolder for Christ in high school. Forty-two years ago, I was with him two years in that school, and this is what my portrait looked like. Now, I wasn't a Christian. I went to church. I knew the difference between right and wrong, but I didn't care. What I wanted to do is live for myself and have fun and forget about the harvest out there or anything like that. I want to suggest to you that God wants to use you and use me to make a difference and an influence in people's lives. And it's not just the act of leading someone to Christ. It could be just the simple testimony you bear as you're in public. Just a couple days ago, I was, I was in Sam's and I was shopping. I know a lot of you take your wife there for dates. You know how they have the free food that are there. Now, ladies, your husband's not looking around, but how many of you have ever been on a date to Sam's? Let me see your hand there. Yeah, several married to big spenders. Well, I'm there by myself on my weekly little, little shopping event at Sam's, and uh, I was kind of bantering and talking to these two ladies. You know, they were making sandwiches and things, and one of them had some chips, and I was just, uh, just trying to be kind of my nice self, and, and uh, nothing spiritual came up, and I just I went along. Well, a friend of mine was there, a friend that used to come to church, someone that I love and care about today, and, and, and she lingered kind of behind me, and I went off. And, and, and the lady said, uh, said uh, who, who was that guy? Or, or no, she said, uh, is that guy a pastor? And she said, well, yeah, he is. And she said, well, I thought that. He was just kind. Now, I'm not bragging on myself, but listen. And then she started talking to the lady, and she said, do you go to church? And she said, no. And tears came in her eyes, and she started talking about her story. And there was a God void there. And when I read that, now I felt good that I was nice, but sometimes being nice and kind is not enough. Sometimes people need to know why. If I'd have just had one of my little deals, I mean, you can't take an hour with somebody in Sam's, but you can take these little paper evangelists we've got all over the church and say, hey, I'd like to give you an invitation to my church. I think you'd really like it. There's a plan of salvation on the back. What happened is my friend had a spiritual conversation with her, and I missed it. Somebody even gave me this morning, they said, hey, here's what I do. I take the little invitations, and uh, I put a little, a little sucker on them, and I give them out to people. Well, why in the world would she do that? She cares about someone's soul. And she knows that any step a person can make towards Christ, come on, is always the right step. And I suggest to you the most important thing that we can do to see an awakening is that our focus can be on winning souls and making disciples for Christ. Come on, give the Lord a big hand today. Mark chapter 11, let me go quickly this morning. The second thing is an awakening to prayer. If you want to see a church that begins to make a difference in the community, how many know the community is bound by darkness? 
How many know Satan is called the God of this world? How many know what we need to do is we need to become what Jesus said is a house of prayer? Mark chapter 11, verse 17, Jesus is teaching them, and he said, Is it not written, say it with me, that my house should be called a house of prayer for who? For all nations. Now, what in the world does that mean? Jesus said this. Jesus said not only a place to pray, but I suggest to you that a house of prayer for all nations means this. We're not just praying for ourselves and one another. We're praying for what's going on out there in this crazy world. And the best way I can illustrate to you how to be that is pray with you. So why don't you just stand to your feet with me for about a minute, and we're going to take just a minute and become a house of prayer. I'm going to lead you in prayer, and I want you to agree with me, and you can either pray out loud the way that I'm praying and agree with me. Can we do that for just a minute? Let's just start praying like this right now. Father, we just want to thank you today that prayer works and you hear prayers, and we're going to take just a minute and ask you to forgive us, Lord, for allowing the world to become so dark. Forgive us, Lord, because our portrait is, is, is in many cases white and it's prayerless. But we want to begin to pray today, Lord, for the Muslim world. We want to pray that there would be a great spiritual outpouring in the Muslim world, that multiplied millions of Muslims would come to Christ, and those that are persecuting and beheading Christians around the world would stop that, that in some way you would protect our brothers and sisters. Come on, pray with me right now. Protect our brothers and sisters that are losing their homes and losing their lives because of what's happening. Lord, we want to pray for our own nation today that the new president that's going to be elected would be a godly man or a godly woman. Come on, pray for that right now. I'm not just praying for my favorite or who I like, but I'm praying that you would send us a man to help make the turn, send us a woman to help us make the turn back to righteousness. And we even pray today, Lord, for our own president. We ask you to bless President Obama today. We, we ask you today that he would begin to walk with you in a way he's never walked before, that he would serve you, that he would be someone that has had a spiritual transformation the last days of his office, that the Lord Jesus Christ would reach out to him, we pray today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Now, what did we just do? We were a house of prayer for a few minutes. We were praying outside of ourselves. We weren't just praying for more ducks to be flying in the sky. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Ducks are good, but we were praying that God's Spirit would move on the earth. Now, I'll tell you this, friend. We, we have lots of opportunities to pray in the walls of this church, but we'll never become a house of prayer here unless you're a house of prayer. Come on, where you live. Until you get up out of the bed and become a house of prayer. Until you turn the radio off in your car and become a house of prayer in the radio. If this will define who we are, there can be an awakening in our community. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. You may be seated just a second. Let me give you another one that I think is profound. We need an awakening to spiritual warfare. Now stay with me on this one. What do you mean, preacher? Ephesians 6, 12, inspired scripture says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, the enemy is not the Democrat. The enemy is not the Republican. The enemy is not the, the, the particular group of people. But Scripture says we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and evil spirits in heavenly places. What does this mean? There's something going on that you can't see that influences what's happening in the world. There's an evil activity in the world, and most of us are blind to this, but I think a church that is awakened spiritually is very much aware of this unseen spiritual world and stands in the gap with prayer and spirit-led activity. Let me illustrate it to you. 
If you look in the, in the pages of Scripture, you see when Moses was a little boy, Satan decided that he was going to stop the move of God. So he decreed through, through the Pharaoh that every child, every Egyptian child that was born a male would be killed in the Nile River. The Nile was their God, and a sacrifice was made to this river of these children. When Jesus was a little boy, King Herod heard about that there was another king that was born. His name was Jesus King Herod became jealous, he became threatened, and he too demanded that in a large circle in the area where he believed Christ was, every child under a couple years of age would be killed. There's a demonic desire to stop, come on, what the child can produce. There's a demonic desire to take little children like we dedicated today and either turn them into evil or squelch their life. We see it happening in America today at the rate of a million children a year through abortion. And it seems like our nation doesn't care. I'm going to suggest to you there's something behind the abortion industry. There's a demonic presence. There is an evil. Last year, scores of numbers of videos came out, and it showed the bartering of babies. It showed the selling of baby parts. It showed the barbarism that was happening. We have somehow become, become uh, uh, hardened to what happens in an abortion for an older child. In a partial birth abortion in one room in the hospital or in the birthing clinic, a parent is excited as about the baby's about to be born. But in the suite very next door, the child is partially born. An instrument is stuck in the back of that child's skull and the brains are sucked out and it's collapsed and it's called our right to choose. Can I tell you, friends, something is wrong in this scenario. The largest abortion provider in America is Planned Parenthood. They were the ones that were caught on tape selling these parts. Now, let me tell you how evil works. We saw it around the nation. People talked about it in the halls of Washington, but our president lacked the courage to veto the bill when the last fund funding bill came across his desk. Right. Our Congress lacked the courage to stop it. They basically right. set up and said, well, it's just already happening. I can't do anything about it. Can I tell you, friend, God cares about this. This is an evil thing that it's work in our world today. We just see it as, as something that's going on in society, and it's been couched a different way. But there is evil in the world today, and it behooves the church, if the church is going to be salt and light, that number one, we must pray militantly against these things that are happening, but two, we must be involved in our culture. You and I cannot retreat because the world is getting darker and darker. Listen, if you see something burdens your heart like the sex slave trade industry or prostitutes on the street and it burdens your heart, my friend, maybe God wants you to step up and step out and make a difference. That's why we're partnering with a, with a ministry in Longview called Rahab's Retreat. We've sent thousands of dollars. Teams of men have gone to do construction. Uh, a woman that was a prostitute at one time has gotten saved and filled with the Spirit, and she's turning an old... Uh, an old uh, nursing home complex into a place to house up to 125 women and their children to get them out of that. What is that? That is spiritual warfare. That is engaging in culture. In our world today, the hot, hot button among young people is social justice. Well, my friends, I want biblical justice. I don't know what the definition of your social justice is, but listen, social justice is more than just giving a condom to every child in America today. Social justice is telling what's true and standing for what's true and having the courage. Now listen, this group that made the videos about Planned Parenthood, now what Planned Parenthood is doing is they're going to sue them and they're going to take as much money as they take, as many lawyers as they can to kind of crush the voice of opposition. Can I tell you, it's a spiritual battle and God is looking for Christians, come on, Christian churches that will experience an awakening with spiritual warfare, love people but call right, right and wrong, wrong and have the courage to stand up. 
Tell your neighbor he's better, doing better than, that, uh, than I thought he was going to do this morning. <laughs> Let me give you another one. 1 Peter chapter 1. There is an awakening to holiness and righteous living that's desperately needed in the church. The scripture says in Psalms, Who will ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who will go into his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Our world would tell you today, it would tell me today, through public classrooms, through liberal ideology, it would tell us through so many vehicles today, through television, through movies, that there's no such thing as right and wrong. That if you believe in absolute truth, if you believe in absolute morality, that you are big-headed, pig-headed, and you are out of date. But can I tell you, friend, the Bible has something different to say. The world tells us that you and I have the right to, to, uh, to decide what's right and wrong for us. Not true. Listen to the words of 1 Peter 1, 14. You must live as God's obedient children. Which simply means, if I'm going to be a true believer, I've got to be a follower. And I want to walk away from this world, not walk towards it. There needs to be a difference between us and the people that are living in the world. Not because we're arrogant and bigoted and we think ourselves more than they. No, we are humble and we recognize, come on, but by the grace of God, there we go. Listen to what he says. Don't slip back into your old way of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. Listen, when I was 17 years old and just being crazy and worldly and partying, I, I didn't know any better. I do now. If I try to repeat the life of my childhood days, of my past, I know better now. But all I have to do is not wake up. And you don't start over where you left sin. You pick up where you left off and go from there. You don't, you don't start with the innocence that you began with in pornography with a short skirt and a low blouse. You start right where you left off and it just gets worse from there. It's the nature of sin. It's how it works. Brad Pitt recently read an article. He's obviously a movie actor. And he talked about his spiritual life as a boy. He now professes to be somewhere between an atheist and an agnostic, but he was raised in a Christian church. And he said, he said back then it was just about shoulds and shouldn'ts and do's and don'ts. I thought, I wish I could be Brad's pastor for just a few minutes and, and tell Brad, listen, I don't obey the commands of the Bible because I have to. I obey because I love God. And if you have a relationship with God, listen, when the Bible tells me not to commit adultery, it's not because God doesn't want me to have fun. It's because God wants me to have a marriage. Come on, that's going to last for the rest of my life. When, God, when the Bible tells, says, tells me not to murder, it's not because God doesn't want me to, you know, to be, uh, be walked on by people and all that. He wants me to keep me out of jail, come on, so I can see my children and my grandchildren. When the Bible tells me to bring my tithe and to, to give my offerings and these things, it's not because God wants my money. It's because God wants to keep me from the love of money, which is the root of all evil. So our outlook on what God says is right and wrong is key. Listen now, verse 15, you must be holy in everything you do. And holiness is not the way that you dress. Holiness is, simply means to be set apart to God, that God's first in my life, set apart to God and set apart from sin. The Scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. And remember, your heavenly Father will... Judge or reward? Well, I thought God loved me. He does love you. He wants to reward you, but if you defy him, he will judge you. 
God paid a ransom to save you. It was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So listen, don't let the world paint a portrait on you that says, do what you want to do, sleep who you want to sleep with, behave who you want to be, steal, embezzle, uh, lie, cuss, whatever you want to do. is. Don't believe that for a minute. Come on. Let your life be, be adorned by honesty and integrity and purity and holiness and, and, and freed from jealousy and freed from envy and and. and, and freed from carnality and freed from lust and freed from greed. I read an article the other day that saddened me deeply. It was an article about uh, gay marriage in the church. And I read the story of a young man that I could tell was very genuine and sincere about his Christianity. I could tell that there, there, there were glimmers of a man that, that knew what it meant to walk with God. But here's what he said about his sexual expression. He said, I've searched my heart. And I know in the depths of my heart that my love that I have for this person is real and I know that it's okay. I wanted to tell him, sir, you cannot trust your heart. The Bible says our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? I cannot trust the way that I feel to make up the rules that govern right and wrong. Come on, that's why God's given us the Bible. That's why if I will walk by His footsteps, listen, my portrait will look good. The church will have a basis and a platform to help lead the world, but the blessing of the Lord will be on my life. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Ooh, I'm running out of time here. I need a couple more minutes. Who give me two or three more minutes here? Two or three more minutes? Three, six, nine, twelve. That's all I need right there. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me, let me touch this one quickly. We need an awakening to the grace of giving. Now hear me on this. Paul the apostle had a great burden for the Jews in Jerusalem in their day. He was a Jew. The, it was the Jews that held the, the truths of God and brought them to the rest of the world. And now he's ministering to Gentiles or non-Jews. But he's going around all these churches in the Mediterranean receiving an offering for the saints that were living under the famine. Here's what he said. He's writing about churches in Macedonia, and he says they're very poor. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Now scratch your head a second. How in the world can you be poor and generous? How can you be poor and generous? It was something about the love of God. Come on. They're rich and generous. I testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but they gave more. And they did it of their own free will. Nobody made them. These people begged them again and again for the privilege of sharing with the believers in Jerusalem. Since you excel in so many ways, I want you to excel in this grace of giving. Now, now let me share a story, and I'm ashamed of it, but I want to tell you something in my own life. I've been a tither forever. I mean, 30 years. That's not a big deal. I give sacrificially to the imagined more. But we also, Linnell and I made a vow that every time we go to church, whether it's here or anywhere else, we're always going to give some kind of an offering, bring our tithe or give our offering. And uh, we give something to the poor, something to feed, feed needy people. It doesn't matter what it was. It wasn't that much money. But the last, I don't know, last few months, God's been dealing with me about how he's blessed me and how I need to be, share more with people. I'm embarrassed to say this, but I have a stingy side. And I was giving some amount to the poor, and I felt last week the Lord say, I want you to double that. And I didn't do it. Now, I did today, but it wasn't that much money. But after I didn't do it, I began reflecting on this and said, why am I not like these Macedonians? Where was my joy in what little God asked me? 
I could easily have afforded 10 times as much as he asked me. I wasn't begging anybody to share with this privilege of sharing. What was wrong wrong with me? There's a part of me that needs some paint. There's a part of my heart that God wants to turn into this pretty silver, but instead of silver is selfish. Am I talking to the right crowd? Let me ask you a question. Is there any paint on your paintbrush? Is there any paint on your portrait? When it comes to winning souls and making disciples and, and being a house of prayer, are we sleeping? Yet I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to get you to start doing the works that God is wanting because He's watching. And it doesn't start with a feeling. It starts with an action. And our actions can awaken our society. Ooh, let, me, let me give you one more. You see, God wants to use our money to advance His work. And we can say yes or no. But there is something about the grace of giving that I want in my life. Come on, how about you? And it's not just an amount, but something in my heart. Let me give you one last one. 1 Corinthians 1, an awakening to unity and order in the church. A week or so ago, we had some missionaries in from Canada, and we had lunch with them, some other friends, and, and we were talking about, they were talking about the church. They'd gone to the, several of the services and said, you know, they were very complimentary about, you know, what the Lord's doing. And they said, well, well, what's going on there? I mean, you know, why is the church healthy as it is? And, and I didn't say anything, I, I, and I've been thinking about that. And here's what I've come up with. The first one is, is I think we genuinely try to have a place where the presence of the Lord is welcome. Genuinely try to please God. And here's the second thing. I think we genuinely try to love people. I think we genuinely try to get along with people. And because of that, there's a place where God's Spirit is, is available to dwell. Now listen, I'm talking for just a moment about a church in unity and in order. And I'm not talking because there's a problem in our church. It's healthy and we want to guard it. First Corinthians says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree... Now, that doesn't mean you're all Republicans or Democrats or we all wear blue shirts and black shoes. But what it means is there be no divisions among you and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. What's it talking about? It's talking about when it comes to the Bible, my opinions, my, my, my desire to be needed and recognized and all that, come on, have to be secondary to the mission of the church. I cannot let, listen, if I get angry with you or hurt with you, I cannot give myself the liberty to go to Facebook. I cannot give myself the liberty to gossip about you. I cannot give myself the liberty to pull away my love from you. But I need to go towards you and forgive you like the Bible said. I need to treat you as a brother and not an enemy. I need to get along, come on, because it's the place of unity that God pours out His blessing. It's the place of a united body of believers that are a representation to the world that this God thing must be real. Listen now, it's the fact that black and white, come on, can worship together in the South. It is the fact that somebody in their, in their, in their tough-looking motorcycle apparel can sit by somebody who has never been out of, the, out of the yard before, are you with me today, can sit on the same row in church and worship the same God, but that doesn't happen unless we choose to guard the unity of the church. It will not happen. Listen, if rebellion gets in, in my heart, I can destroy what's happening. I can influence every person in my circle. 
And I guarantee you half of us have been in a church experience where people weren't getting along and they were backbiting and they were doing everything. And before you know it, somebody with influence rose up and they said, I'm more spiritual. I have this. I have that. Listen, follow me. And before you know it, the church begins to crumble and her witness and testimony in the world is out the window. Listen, let me say this. Our leaders aren't perfect in this church, but unless they ask you to drink Kool-Aid like Jim Jones, if you'll just go along with your elder and go along with your life group leader, come on, go along with your children's director upstairs. I know when you pick up your child, you know that your child is perfect, and they try to tell you that your child bit some child today. Please just believe them today. Please don't think they're out to hurt you or harm you or speak evil of your little girl. Don't let something get in your heart. But let there be a portrait, come on, that's produced not only of your life and mine, but of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, come on, that the world can look at and say there must be a God. Those people have that God. I want what they've got over there. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord today. He's worthy of all of our praise. Come on, stand to your feet today. We're going we're gonna to close in prayer. I'm, my time is up today. Well, listen, if you remember, they're going to put these thoughts on the screen here, and I, I want to ask you to do one thing. And on a serious note, give me just four or five minutes and then we'll close. We're going to do a song. We're going to make an opportunity for prayer and do a song and then dismiss. And, and I want to ask you, when they start that song, unless you just have an emergency or have to be somewhere, wait just a few minutes before you run to Bryce's because, or wherever you go, Cracker Barrel. Because it may be that someone is being drawn to God and they need activity that pulls them to the cross, not away from it. But, but, but I want to give you an opportunity to, for, for, for prayer in just a moment. But remember the fact of that church in Revelation in the city of Sardis. Jesus said, I know your works. I know what you're doing. And what I've talked about today is not just a feeling that I feel like witnessing or feel like, you know, whatever, making a disciple or, or feel like praying. It's deliberate choices that I make. It's the portrait that I paint. And I wonder if we could just stand before the Lord today and simply say this, Lord. Help me, Lord, to awaken to my purpose. Help me, Lord, to be more concerned about lost people and, and helping people grow spiritually and making a disciple. Would you help that become my great priority because it's yours? Would you just in your own way say, Lord, would you help me become a, a house of prayer? Would you awaken me to prayer? Help me to get out of bed. Help me to come to the church house, even this week during lunch or breakfast or something. Would you help me, Lord, awaken to spiritual warfare? Would you give me eyes to see that the evil in the world has a spiritual consequence? And before I try to go out and do something about it, I need to get in the place of prayer. Would you help me, Lord, awaken to holiness and righteousness? Not because I have to and I'm scared you're going to get me and I should, but because I love you and I know you've got my best intent in mind and I don't want to I don't want to tarnish my Christian testimony to help me Lord to awaken to the grace of giving forgive me Lord for that stingy part of my heart let me have what they had in the Macedonian churches to recognize something God was doing and wanted to be a part would you always Lord help me awaken to unity and and not let myself get offended or my feelings hurt or pick up my toys and run off but help me resolve my differences don't let me be acting rebellion because I want to guard the unity, Lord, of your house. Help us in this Holy Spirit today. I want you to take just a second and just lift your heart to heaven and say, God, I, 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 this is the way I want to be. All we did today was talk about the Bible. And I want to pray today that you would help me be like this. Help me, Lord, to have a brush in my hand and write the portrait with my life 
that you've ordained for me to write in Jesus' name. Let's close with a personal prayer if you're here today and say, Pastor, something really touched me in this message and I feel like I need to, 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 to seize that. I tell you, here's something I know. When the Spirit of the Lord moves in our midst, there's a voice within the midst, the voice within the voice. And that voice, when it talked about unity, for example, maybe a bad church experience came up in your mind, something that happened a long time ago, or maybe some unforgiveness in your heart to someone. And you know in your heart that Jesus said, if you don't forgive, He won't forgive you, but you've closed yourself. And the Holy Spirit put His finger on it. You need to come to God and give God that and close it in prayer. Listen, we'll pray for anything in this moment. The most important thing I'd like to pray for you today, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this has been a message for Christians today. But let me tell you something that I didn't know as a boy. I just kind of thought everybody was a Christian. I thought if you went to church, it made you a Christian. If your parents were a Christian, then you were a Christian. It's not true. What makes you a Christian is when you surrender your heart to Christ. It's when you receive Him as your Savior and begin to follow Him as your Lord. Something supernatural happens when you surrender your life to the God who created you. You are born again and He gives you a brand new start and He sets you on a new course. If this is resonating in you right now and you need to make a commitment of your life to Christ, maybe you've gotten away from God. You walked with Him at one time but just kind of gotten away. I can't think of a better name to start the new year than recommitting your life to Him. So as our prayer team is coming to the front right now, we're going to do this last song. If you want to commit your life to Christ, I want to ask you to just come and meet us at the cross. If you're coming back to the Lord, come and meet us at the cross today as we pray. Come on, sing one last time. You come and let God do something. This could be your miracle moment. Either committing your life to Christ or in the place of prayer. I love you very much. God this morning. He's so faithful. Amen. But if you're here this morning and you still need prayer before you leave, hey, I just encourage you the prayer team will remain around here for a while to pray with you for anything or everything that you're going through this morning. But if not, hey, feel free to be dismissed. And man, we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Hope you have a great week. We need your revival.